For the Jews, it was called the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, okay? And the third one, in the autumn, Tabernacles, okay? Feast of Booths, or Shelters, Sukkot, okay? So these were the three principal feasts, pilgrim feasts, where the Jews would have to go up to the house of the Lord. Remember, it didn't matter from which direction you approach the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You would always go up to Jerusalem. And so I want you to imagine the scene, thousands upon thousands of pilgrims ascending to the house of the Lord in the hills of Judea, okay, to one specific area, Mount Zion, and, uh, and coming up to the house of the Lord for many hundreds of years they would be singing these songs of ascent. Now I want to suggest to you at this point that when David, we know it wasn't David who built the temple in Jerusalem, who was it who built the temple in Jerusalem? <coughs> Solomon, his son, okay? However, the people would go up during that time, during that whole period following that, and go up to Jerusalem, uh, after it had been built by Solomon, obviously. Um, and these people would go up and they would worship the Lord in Zion. It was a wonderful time of the year, and I, I can imagine the people for many weeks before just preparing, and now they were going up to worship the Lord in Zion. And they would be organizing the caravans, you know, going to travel through the land. It could have taken anything from three to five days, depending on the size of your caravan, you know. We're not talking about caravans, we're talking about lots of people, right? Not to do the caravans and take away and stuff, right? Okay, so it depends on, on how many families, you can imagine the families in Nazareth, for example, getting together and saying, we're going we're gonna to travel too much to the house of the Lord, everybody, the expectations there, and as they're traveling along the way with their families and their children running around and praise the Lord, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like? A pilgrimage up to the house of the Lord, and in many ways, friends, that, that kind of, it's an image of our own pilgrimage through this life. As we go and prepare ourselves that we're going up to the house of the Lord, if you like. Amen. Bless the Lord. And so you can imagine the unity that was, there was, there was I'm sure there were people, there were issues, there were people who fallouts and so on, but everybody had this common goal, this common purpose of coming before the Lord. It was an exciting time. And it says here that it was a song of David, and, and it's a possible background. 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 5, speaks about when David was crowned in Hebron. Okay, David, before he conquered Jerusalem, he reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years. Now prior to that, there was some trouble in Israel. There were trouble between the house of Saul and the followers of David. You know, the house of Saul had a bit of a problem accepting that it wasn't going to be their descendants. Who were going to reign in Israel? Anyway, bit of a bit of civil unrest going on, and so when the, the Bible says in, in I think Second Samuel chapter five, when David is in Hebron, that all Israel gathered together to crown him as king. The people were coming back together. Amen. So it applies to that situation too, friends. And with that in mind, let's read that first verse again. Behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I can't get that song 
be one. We are to remain in unity. Unity must be maintained. God has already established unity in the church, friends. As it is, bound us together with a bond of peace, a bond in the spirit. We are bound together. And so we need to endeavour to maintain that unity that exists within the body of Christ. And for that reason, because it's such, there is a blessing, we're going to talk about that shortly, in that unity, it is the one thing that Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy that unity. He wants to bring disunity into the body of Christ. He wants to work amongst us to sow discord and division into the body of Christ. And he's had a lot of practice at it. Friends, unity exists when our sense of common identity and purpose is greater than our differences. We've said this before. Okay, so unity is not uniformity. We don't all think the same. We're very different from different backgrounds, with different types of people. And yet there is a common unity. We are a community. And that which binds us together, that sense of identity and purpose, is greater than our differences. It needs to be greater than our differences. Does that mean we must agree on everything? Absolutely not. Of course not. There's a lot of you maybe not agree with me. That's alright, you're in the wrong. Does it imply the absence of disputes amongst brothers? Friends, you've only got to go back into the New Testament. And see, as early as, the, as when the church was being birthed, you see disputes going on. The great apostle Paul and Barnabas had a dispute over John Mark. He drove them apart, didn't it? Disputes happen. Yet we see there's uh, indications that there was a reconciliation, of course, and later on, and still the, the word of the Lord went forth, and God did his bit. Friends, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you. Because sometimes it doesn't depend on you, does it? Sometimes you're trying to live peaceably with somebody and they just don't want to live peaceably with you. But you can only, you're only responsible for your actions. And you can only do your part. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, do your part. Why, friends? Because that unity is precious in the body. You know, many years ago, and very often I'll speak like I, like I, I spent 20 years in the force, but I didn't. I was in for a short time, just over a year and a half, year and a half I was medically discharged. But the first six months as a junior soldier, let me tell you something. The camaraderie that, that exists between soldiers is second to none. I've never seen or never felt that bond, you know, such a bond in such a short time. And I, we, I served six months as a junior soldier before going on to the adults, but um, just, I remember like living with these guys that first few days when we turned up to, in the army, and you're like, you're sussing everybody out and getting to know everybody, and then suddenly these guys have been thrown together from all over the country, yeah, different, again, diverse backgrounds and so on, but you know, you're all suddenly thrown into this situation, not only are you going to kind of like build friendships, you've got to live together. And the way that they, they train you and then they kind of instill this into you that, you know, maybe one day you've got to fight together. And so they have to build into you this sense of unity and, and, and 
realizing that you're not an individual anymore, you're part of, of something bigger. And that platoon actually becomes closer than your actual family. You've got your family, you love your family, but they're far away. But you're now living in this situation with this, we used to have like this one, one room, we had about 20 blokes in our own bed space. So you can imagine what that got like sometimes. You know, when you find yourself, we, we kind of have this code that, uh, that like if you fall out with something, we fell out on the stupidest of things. I'd have fallen out with an Irish guy over, over a kit list once, because he wouldn't give me his kit list. You know, just so I could check the kit. And like, silly little things would just spark, spark an issue. And we had a code, I'm letting you into these things now, but we had a code whereby there was an open space, we had the bed spaces and there was an open space with some smaller lockers. And the idea was, if you had to sort it out, then you'd sort it out with the pair of you. Right, the others would stand back, let you knock one another about a bit. And then, you'd be, when it was over, that was it, you got to shake hands and you couldn't bring it back up again. You had to let it go. And you had to find some way of reconciliation and, and that unity, re-establishing that unity. Do you understand that? And that's how it is sometimes, isn't it? In church. Not that you start knocking one another about, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> but you know, it gets like that sometimes. And we have our fallouts and our disputes, and sometimes it can be over something silly. But we've got to try and find a way to maintain that unity. Okay, it's happened, so we've got to move on. Where we, where we have to say sorry, we have to say sorry, and that's it. We move forward, we move on. Amen? Hallelujah. I see you all saying that with conviction. <laughs> Praise God. It is the recognition that that which binds us together is stronger and more important than the issues that divide us. Sometimes, you know, that's really challenging for us, isn't it? The people that wind us up, people that offend us, that hurt us. What Jesus says, Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 22. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's the kind of question I thought he asked. How many times have we broken? <laughs> Up to seven times. I wasn't pointing to anybody there. <laughs> Up to seven times. Seven's a good number, Lord, you know. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. How many times have you ever said so serious, it's so serious. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 to 24, Jesus says, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Relationships. You know, basically saying, you know, very often we want to crack on as though nothing's happening. But actually, the Lord says, you need to be reconciled. Obviously, and I believe the correct interpretation here is that they remember that your brother has something against you. You know, not because you've done something against them, but maybe they've done something against you. Yes? And I know, friends, how this works. It's not easy. I know the dynamics of this. It's 
not easy. And you can't always reconcile with those who don't want to be reconciled with. The Bible says we must try, we must do our part. Yes? If that means that we are to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness, then we are to ask for forgiveness. That's not easy sometimes, is it? It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. The Lord, help us. Help us in this. Secondly, what do we see? Unity is part of our worship. Unity is part of our worship. Verse 2, it says, It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Typical of Hebrew poetry, he wants to give some images to demonstrate what it's like to God. What he said is good and pleasing and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, how good it is in the sight of God. Now he wants us to consider using imagery. And it talks about the beard of Aaron. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And when he's speaking here, friends, he's speaking about the anointing oil. And if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that there was a specific type of oil that specific ingredients that were prescribed by God and couldn't be imitated at all. Okay, and that was specifically used for anointing the high priest and the, and the priesthood. We're talking about worship. We're talking about worship. But I want you to understand, you know, that, that when that first high priest, I think it was Moses who anointed him, it, it was poured out from above. That oil, the anointing oil that represented the Holy Spirit of God was poured out upon his head and then began to, to descend down his beard onto the, onto the collar of his garments and so on. The role of the anointing oil was to consecrate the priest as holy to the Lord. There is a link, a, a connection between unity and worship, friends. Unity and worship. It was what set him apart specifically for worship. Remember the high priest, the high priest, he would have a breastplate which would cover the area of his heart. And on those on that breastplate were twelve stones, precious stones, that represented the tribes of Israel coming together on that one breastplate. Can you see that the images here, friends? Yes, and upon the high priest was being poured out that oil, the anointing oil. It was, and can you imagine the aroma that filled the air with that precious oil, that fragrant oil that was being poured out? Oh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to, to dwell together in unity, like that anointing oil being poured out from above. Upon the high priest Aaron, with his breastplate, with all the tribes represented upon his heart. Yes, like the Holy Spirit descending upon him to bless. Praise God. I want you to see that this morning. Friends, it is a unity not just of peace, but of holiness. Of holiness. Yes. Holiness, holiness implies truth. We spoke about this before. It's not unity at all costs. There are boundaries, there are limits to church, to the church's unity. 
There are limits to your unity. You don't have to agree and be united with every single person, friends. You've got to understand that there is a unity of holiness. There is a unity in the truth. In the truth. Again, reading the, the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, verses 14 to 17. Jesus says this, he's praying to the Father, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. What is that truth? Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart by your word, which is truth. And friends, that is exactly what has happened in your life and in my life. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ. We've been set apart by God. We have been united together with the bond of peace which exists in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're part of each other. But we're sanctified, we're set apart by the truth. It's the truth that sets us apart. It is not unity at all costs. We've said it before, friends. Sometimes truth is sacrificed on the altar of unity. Yes. And really it should be the other way around if necessary. We need to stand for truth, especially in these days. When people are just, you know, just embracing anything, any wind of doctrine that blows in. And just in the name of love and tolerance, just accepting everything. And treating, uh, acting as if God is just so desperate that he'll just accept everyone and everything. Friends, God is as holy today as he was on the day that the high priest, sorry, Aaron was being anointed with that holy oil. When his sons tried to present strange fire at the tabernacle and were consumed by fire. He's as holy today. Yes, the way to approach his holy throne of grace has changed, but God does not change. He's holy. We draw near with thanksgiving in our hearts. We draw near with worship. But we draw near in awe of a holy God. A holy God. Hallelujah. We are united in Him. Sanctified by His truth. Set apart for worship. Set apart for worship. Can you imagine? I imagine what that was like for those, those priests. Of all the tribes of Israel. Knowing that they'd been set apart to serve the Lord. They had no inheritance in the land, friends. They had certain... Specific cities that they were given to live in, but actually their inheritance was the temple of the Lord and the service of the Lord in the tabernacle or the temple. What a great and wonderful privilege these men had to come before the Lord and to serve in that way. And yet, look what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a royal priesthood. We, the church, are a royal priesthood. Yes, a holy nation. We've been set apart, we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. Remember priests, what would priests do? Priests would represent God before the people, and priests would represent the people before God. We are a royal priesthood. We are called to be a community, a royal priesthood, where we're a community of disciples. We decided to be a worshipping community at the heart of King's Winford, not just where 
where we get together to sing some songs on a Sunday and, and be, be preached to every week. That's not the, the point, friends. We are based as a community at the heart of King Whitford, where every hope is an expression of the kingdom. Why? Because every believer, a disciple of the king. So we take what we learn here and we go home and we apply these things in our homes to make sure that that's where it starts. What we've learned here we go and apply in our homes to express the kingdom of God because we are we're a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And so we start to, to, to accept our responsibility as priests in the home first and foremost. And we start to pray in our homes. Yes, we start to, to order our homes uh, in conformity with the word and the will of God. And every believer, a disciple of the king. Every single one of you, a disciple of the king. Amen. Set apart for the king, a royal priest. Hallelujah. Praise God. Unity, like the anointing oil, is poured out from above and descends upon God's people like he flows down Aaron's beard and garments. Romans 15 verse 15 to 16 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort, comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus to be like-minded, that talks about unity, doesn't it? Toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you're different. You have your, there's diversity. But that which binds you together is that desire to worship and glorify God, the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
the, the moisture in the air condenses and it falls as dew upon the vegetation. And whenever that happens, friends, what do we see? We see life, don't we? We see it become green, lush green. We see life birthing all around us. This is the imagery here. It speaks about uh, um, the, the lush green vegetation. It brings refreshing. It brings nourishment. It brings renewal. That dew. This is what he's referring to. He said it's like the dew of Hermon descending. I want you to notice that word, descending. Because it was the same with Aaron's being, wasn't it? The, the oil was being poured out and descended. It was coming down. Yes, that's a key word in the text here. Descending upon the mountains of Zion. Now the thing is, Hermon is right up in the north, but Zion, the hills around Jerusalem, in the central area of Israel, are very often are very dry. They're very dry. And so he's taking this picture that is well known to these people at the time and saying, look, you know that the, the, the dew up in Hermon just brings refreshing and life and it's well known. But when we have unity, unity of the brothers, it's like that same dew that's being poured out upon, upon the, the mountains of Zion. Remember, Zion is where the temple would eventually stand. Zion is the center, it's the heart. It's the place of worship. It's the center of Israel's worship. When there is unity, there is a refreshing sense of God's presence and blessing. I don't know about you, but I can sense that time at times. Have you been in places where you can sense, I don't know, you just sense that, that there is a community, a common unity. Yes, things, you know, little issues exist sometimes, but there's that sense of unity. People coming together, and it's just a beautiful atmosphere. There's a beautiful atmosphere. And, and that is good and it's pleasing and I believe it's like the fragrance of the oil that runs down Aaron's beard, friends, that fills the place. And I believe that brings glory to God. That glorifies God. Yes, we need to work in it sometimes. Yes, it means challenging things for us sometimes. We need to humble ourselves. Change our thinking. We need to forgive. But as we work in it, God, God is pleased and delights in our unity. And he says, what does he say? He for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Life forevermore. You know, coming together to worship, it's, it's a microcosm of the unity that will exist in the future. Let's just turn to one Ephesians. One Ephesians. <laughs> Don't study the Bible, God and God's study that. One Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Verse 9. And verse 10. It says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, he might what? Gather together. In one, all things in Christ, both watch which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Gathering together. Can you see that, friends? That's God's purpose and God's will for the future. He's going to gather all things together in heaven. In heaven. We've talked about it today. One day, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of 
God the Father. He's going to bring, he's going to bring together all things under the Lordship of Christ. Let me tell you, it's wise to bow the knee now. Now is the day of salvation. But it's going to happen regardless of the rebellion of man's hearts, friends. To bring these things together. And when we come together, it's almost like a microcosm of that which will take place in the future. We come together to worship God now with surrendered hearts. We come together as the church of Jesus Christ. We come together as the royal priesthood that has been set apart. And upon whom the oil of the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Hallelujah. We come together and as we worship with one heart and with one mind. It comes and bring, it brings a sweet smelling aroma before the Father. And as we come together as one, the blessing of God is poured out upon us because it's good and pleasant in His sight. And because of that, Satan wants to be shamed. Do you understand, friends? And so often he takes, like we've said before, he takes advantage of our immaturity. He takes advantage of our ignorance, of our arrogance. Sometimes he takes advantage of our pride. He drives a wedge. And I don't know if you've ever been in a church that's got really, real issues with disunity because of arguments and factions and so on, but it's a completely different atmosphere. It's a completely, there's no good and pleasant smell of aroma of worship in that place. Friends, that's what we want to establish now. That's what we want to establish. We want to establish that unity. Yes, of heart and mind. We want to establish that maturity whereby we can be different. We can even have our issues sometimes. But we've got the maturity to overcome them and to maintain that unity. Yes. But we don't throw our toys out of right? And have a fit. Like some people do. God help us. Help us. What have we seen this morning to finish? I've said that how many times I've said finish now. Unity is pleasant in God's sight. It certainly is. It's a part of our worship. And unity brings God's blessing.
Now we know the word, we know it. We hear it, we agree with it. But it's a different thing to live it out, isn't it? Very often. Father, we humble ourselves before your presence this morning. We want to thank you for this beautiful psalm, Lord. Lord, we'll sing it, we rejoice in it, but do we live it? Lord, I just pray this morning with my brothers and sisters, Father, if there is anything within our hearts, within our lives, within our minds, <coughs> Lord, that, that is bringing discord or disunity, anything that grieves your Holy Spirit, I pray you'll grant us the humility, Lord, to put these things right. <coughs> Help us not to swallow the bait of offense. Because we know that it's bitter, it is poisonous, Lord, and it will embitter our souls. Help us to keep short accounts with you and with others, Lord. Help us to walk before you, Father, in unity, one heart, one purpose, one goal. Father, we just love you this morning. No, we know, Lord, that this, you delight in this thing. You delight in the unity we have. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord, I believe. But, when we worship the Lord, and in fact, you might have, we'll do this while we're giving you more worship in the world. There are people with sick bodies in this place. And we want to pray with you this morning. The Bible says in James chapter 5, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And we usually finish there. But what else does it say? And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Maybe this morning. You're carrying sickness in your body, but also your heart is slightly sick because you carry an offence. And when we hold on to offences, friends, it means we're refusing to forgive. And that can cause problems, big problems. And so, I want to invite you this morning, if you are, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you're carrying an offence, friends, because you're sick in your body, but if you're sick in your body, I want you to come forward. Because the elders, I'm going to call the elders forward, and we're going to anoint you with oil. This is good oil, friends, from, from uh, not Israel, from Brazil. It's good stuff, though. <laughs> but of course, it's not the oil. It's what it represents. And we're going to pray. And we're going to believe this word. And if you need to release forgiveness in your heart, this morning, I mean, if you feel like confessing it to me, praise God. What do I do? Feel as though you need to release it first and foremost in your heart, and friends, that's what you're going to do this morning. 
Father, we are no one. We are nothing without you. But Lord, what you have given us is your word. And we know that your spirit is in this place this morning. And we just pray as we take the step of faith in accordance with your word, Father. Lord, that as we anoint these brothers and sisters, those who carry sicknesses in their bodies, Lord, that Lord, you will see their hearts. Those who will release forgiveness, Father, you will meet them. Lord, you will know their hearts. Lord, you will forgive trespasses and sins. And you will heal bodies in this place this morning, we pray. And we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.